Well, welcome today. We're excited that uh, you were able to make it on this frigid week, and you thought out to, to come on in, and, and I'm excited about this, this series. Today's talk is called Burn the Plows, and if you've ever read through some of those uh, obscure Old Testament stories, you may remember one about Elisha, and we'll get to him in a few, but uh, first I want to I want to just say, uh, in jumping into our, our, our week here, looking back, how many of you uh, remember where you were at when uh, the broadcast came across that Kennedy died? I know you're going to age yourself if you raise your hand, but that's okay. There you go. Uh, I, I, I don't remember that. So they, uh, but you know, there's, there's, I was listening this week, you know, during all the celebration, not celebration, but remembrance of that, and uh, uh, they replayed was it Walter Matthau? Uh, huh? Cronkite Jeepers. Uh, Cronkite reporting it. And I'm listening to uh, him get choked up as he communicates and reads this newswire. And it kind of brought me to that. Honestly, like I had never heard that. It was, one of, it was very real and, and emotional in, in this, this moment in time that is etched into people's minds. This great man and the moment that's etched into their minds. And, and, and it got me thinking as we're jumping into this series, what about, you know, when you start to think of great people we've lost, Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs, and, and, and some of us aren't old enough to remember Kennedy, so some of us do remember where we were at when we heard about Steve Jobs dying. Came across some people only certain types of people would hold one of these products in their hands. But, you know, and they had an Apple product in their hand, and they probably heard about it on the product he invented. Kind of an interesting impact, and, and, and just looking at the, the tweets and, and the, the different statements that would come across on technology, often he influenced the presence of, and... and uh, and reading into that, just going, man, he's pretty intensely admired throughout the world for his inventiveness, and just and it made a huge impact on millions and millions of people's lives and days. But it's nothing compared to the influence that we've all felt that's rippled out over generation and generation from the life of Jesus, right? And where we were at when we experienced for the first time the impact of the death of Jesus, but not just his death. See, that's the difference. Is it's Jesus dying and then raising again three days later makes the story all that much more alive today because he rose to heaven, gave us the promise of a Holy Spirit that would give us power and strength to walk out our day in a more godlike manner. And so I look at this and go, man, this these impacts in these people makes it just, it makes you think about life. And it makes you think about what they did in the little amount of years that they had. And think about, man, am I really achieving my personal mission in life? Am I doing what I wanted to do? Am I doing something that matters with my life? I mean, that really matters. I, I, I get 
just all into thoughts like that, and, and usually at the beginning of the year, right? You're like setting, and this is a great season to start to think about 2014, man. What can I do in 2014? And many of us know that God is calling us to something more, but are we willing, and are we going to dare being open to that? Are we going to dare stepping out of what might be good enough to something greater? And that's the challenge of this series. John 14, verse 12, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. He will do even greater things than these. Can you believe this promise? I just look at this challenge from Jesus and go, really? Like, is that possible? I've, I can read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about what Jesus did. And like, I can not only do what he did just by having faith in him, but I can do greater things than that. How? Like, how is that possible, God? We're entering into the season here where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. I mean, we're going in. Some of you have been celebrating Christmas since like September. But, you know, we usually in the Huff House, we wait till like Thanksgiving. We let Thanksgiving happen. We want to be thankful, right? Then we enter full on into Christmas. Maybe not at 6 o'clock when the stores open, but, you know, at like midnight or so. So we, we will get into the season and, and just have some fun. But uh, Jesus should be the focus, right? The coming of baby Jesus. I love me some baby Jesus, right? I, just, I like baby Jesus. In my mind, it's baby Jesus. I'm just kidding. I won't go into that little monologue. Bruce showed that video a while ago. But I just look at baby Jesus, and I'm going, this is the season. God gets the courage, this moment of time where he's finally like, okay, it's time to just allow my son to go, to take this dare, to go all in, sending his son to earth to endure every temptation and every sin, every bit of humanity that you and I endure, and yet do it fulfilling every prophecy, meaning he's without sin. I mean, he was 30 years old before he was baptized and like came out from Carpenter World. He went 30 years just living like you and me. And then he was anointed to, to go forward and, and be the, the Jesus we see in Scripture with all these miracles and all this anointing, but it was, we celebrate at Christmas his birth. It's kind of interesting to me to see God's love and the fact that he just totally said, here it is, it's all or nothing. Because he had to fulfill every prophetic word throughout the Old Testament to solve the mess that you and I all endure called life. And he did it and showed us not only can it be done that you can endure life, but that you can step from just living normally into a life that would be called greater. And he challenges us to that end. Jesus makes it clear. This was not just 
to promise greater things like for eternal life, this was greater things while present on earth. In our lifetime, we would be even greater, like we could do even greater things. Because sometimes I think maybe you're like, oh, heaven's going to be so great. I'm just, I'll wait till then to like experience greater. No, like right in you is the power for greater right now. It's a huge goal, you know, to, to do even greater things than Jesus. I don't know how many of you in December of 2012 set New Year's resolutions, or I call them goals. Uh, just kind of, I have a goal for the year, man, I want to see this happen. I just, I, I, I love goals. And so, uh, uh, you know, maybe you were, I want to be greater than Steve Jobs. Anybody put that on their 2012 resolution? That's a big goal, right? That would be huge. Okay, but wouldn't it even be more challenging to write down, like, I'm going to be greater than Jesus in 2013, right? Did anybody write that down? Anybody achieve that? Isn't that interesting, right? That's like a challenging thought because Jesus did challenge us. He said that, like, that should be on our list. (laughs) That's so intimidating. You kidding me? By ascending into heaven... And giving us the Holy Spirit, it's not our strength that would make us greater. It's our humility and just being ordinary that allows the power of God to be glorified and be greater through us. Versus us going, yeah, I'm greater than Jesus. Let's do this. Walk on some water today, right? And uh, we walk on water around here. It's just usually like frost or, you know, uh, ice in the parking lot of Walmart yesterday. You know, Jesus made way for us to be greater through Him. We're greater through faith in Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit that comes alive in us and allows us to take on things we would never imagine. God didn't send Jesus into the world in this crazy manger scene we're going to put up around our house. I know for us, we used to count how many manger nativity scenes we have, you know. And uh, we don't have any, like, true pictures, though, of just how messy and dirty it probably was. And you walk by that nativity, you're like, am I in Buckley or do I smell a cow? You know, it's like, you know, no, that's just the nativity. Although we do live in Buckley and every once in a while you smell cows. But it's like, you know, so you look at that and you go, no, this manger scene was messy And God sent His Son into this scene, and all the prophecies over thousands of years were fulfilled so that we could see what greater looks like. And the greater that God has sowed into each one of our lives from the moment we've been born, that He's waiting at any instant to fan into flame, which He did in His Son's life at the age of 30. Kind of interesting. You've been given a mission You've been called to make an impact. We live in a world that actually tries to avoid making an impact, right? Because we know you're going to make an impact in one of two directions. And if you risk making a good impact, you might become a bad impact. And if you you don't want to make a bad impact on people, so you don't risk doing anything good, so you're stuck in normal. When God's called us to be great. I think greatness only comes with risk. And for some of you and your personality types, that's a stretch, any form of risk, right? But God has called us to be greater. 
I'm not challenging you in this series for the next four weeks to achieve greatness. I think that's ambiguous. I think it's hard to do. It can be discouraging. Uh, The pursuit of greatness is kind of vague at times and makes us feel less versus uh, the great that's in us at the beginning. Uh, Greatness can leave us feeling a little more empty, I guess you could say. Uh, We're not going to pursue good enough because that's like no risk right down the middle, right? But what if there's a place that Jesus came into this world for in each of you that God put in us when we were born, and it's beyond greatness, it's this place called greater. And that's the challenge that we want to bring along into our lives as we consider like not only Jesus coming into this world, but we're going to we're going to look at an illustration for the next few weeks through the life of Elisha in the Old Testament that kind of foreshadows this potential greatness and how it can come at any time through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. It's like this hidden superpower in us. You know, you see all the different shows and movies. It's like, you know, somebody all of a sudden realized, oh my goodness, I can start that on fire, you know? <laughs> and they're like, burn. Whoa, that was cool. Or, you know, I can run real fast. We've seen The Incredibles. We've seen these different movies out there. I just revert to cartoons because, like, all my kids are 10 and younger. But, you know, you got all these superhero things out there. And I just think down inside of us, there's this superpower called greater that faith in Jesus unlocks. And then the power of the Holy Spirit just allows it to go. I want us to leave the false ideas of, of greatness behind because greatness tries to puff up, right? If we try to walk out greatness. But a place of hope and expectancy for God to awaken something that rests just squarely on His shoulders, not our own. It's fully on His sovereign timing for our life and His power that would awaken it within us, but it's been there all along. The unreal part is it's not out there somewhere to attain greater. It's, it's like we've been given everything we need to be greater inside of us, in our heart, when we put our faith in Jesus. This is not one day, you know, greatness. This is now. It's any moment. It's, it's what you and, and God could tap into in an instant. It's hidden in the depth of our belief. I simply want us to be willing to have eyes that could be open to that greater through faith. And are you willing to open your minds to the possibility that God has a vision for your life that is greater? Greater than labels? greater than a retirement plan, greater than a pile of dishes in the sink, greater than what normal stares you in the face, ironing or laundry, greater than the the gift that's going to go on sale at 6 p.m. this Thursday night that you just have to have for Christmas, right? That discount and you're going to war and stab somebody on your way into Walmart. You know, it's just, don't do that, by the way. That'd be bad. It's not a good idea. Greater than beating rush hour and finding your way to work faster. Uh, Greater than finding the last parking spot in downtown Sumner to catch the train. (laughs) I got to experience that the other week. Greater than the momentary fix of sin that you can't 
release yourself from the practice. Greater than the abuse you've suffered. Greater than the regrets of missed moments. Greater than even the best moment in your life to this moment. See, the good news for you is nobody does greater things for God because they have it all together. And nobody is disqualified because they don't. Let me read that again because you need to fill those blanks in on your handout if I remembered to put them there. Nobody does greater things for God because they have it all together, and nobody's disqualified because they don't. So before it's gone too long, I know some of you have like a 20-minute listening capacity and you're about ready to tune out and hit mute if you're listening to the podcast. So you're like, okay, that was all I could take. He said greater too many times. Let me remind you one more time. Greater is already in you. (laughs) You just have to catch that and be open to it. But how do you awaken the greater? How does God do it? And that's where we look to the life of of Elisha that foreshadows even some of the life aspects of Jesus and salvation through Jesus and the plan God unfolds through him. As we, we're, so we're going to stick in this series for four weeks, and then December 22nd is our Christmas service. It's that moment where, man, here's this little window in the lives of the, the people around you where statistically... of people in this world will come to church if you invite them. In fact, they say that 50% of people in our community will say yes 91% of the time if you invite them to church. Is that crazy to think? Why do we not invite more people to church? But specifically on the holiday, they're even more apt to follow through and come. December 22nd, we'll make the gospel clear and celebrate Jesus coming into this world as creatively as we can, but as clearly as we can. But until then, we're going to build up an awareness of the greatness God wants to work through us, which just might inspire us to impact the lives of others around us. So here I want to dive into Elisha. Elisha is an interesting story because He's given half the press, but he does twice as much as his predecessor, Elijah. And I always get confused with who's who. I don't know if you've ever read through the Old Testament. You're like, was that Elijah or Elisha? And now I'm confused. So hopefully we'll become more clear on some of the stories during this series. But it's interesting when you look at Elisha's beginning, which we're going to read in just a second in 1 Kings 19.19. It's not the most fancy of beginnings, um, but this is where this guy comes to life in Scripture. And it says... This, as he succeeds one of the greatest prophets to the day in Israel's life. Verse 19, Elijah went from there and found Elisha. See, God had just told him to go to Elisha and anoint him. So he went from there, where he was at, and found Elisha, son of whatever, Shaphat. It sounds like I, you know, excuse my language. Um, And then he goes, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him, 
Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. Now that's a job transition. Is that interesting? Man. Stick it to the man. Just burn the plows, right? It's like, it's interesting what he does here. But the man was like his own profession, his own family. He just goes all in at once. How many of you have heard the quote, if you're not the lead dog, the view's the same? Have you heard that? And it's, uh, no? Wow, there's a new one for you. Just jot that down. Uh, if you're not the lead dog, the view's the same. In other words, but, right? And so it's like, it's like you just... You want sometimes to have a different view. Well, imagine 12 yoke of oxen, and, and just because there's 12 yoke of oxen, that means there's 12 pairs of oxen. The yoke was the thing that connects them, right? And it was wood. And, and it doesn't mean he was driving all of them and like, oh, today I got to take pair 12 out. No, he had a team of people, that, and they had many fields. And he was actually driving the 12th pair of oxen oxen. And so, but, but that's what he did. That's all we know is that he was an, a, a farmer. Dust and the smell of ox poop, back to the nativity. No, I'm just kidding. You know, it is. It's that, it's that, like that was when he comes home and, and he smells dinner, the remnant of ox butt, right? That's kind of his life and the dust and the grime. Imagine what it would be like in this area of the world sand and, you know, just plowing in this dry area with oxen every day. That's what Elisha does. Before, like, it wasn't glamorous. He's not waiting. He didn't wake up one night with a vision and and think, today your world will change. I am going to call you to be a prophet of Israel. He did, and so he's out there in the field. He didn't, he didn't sit there and go, okay, I'm ready for my time, Lord. I'm just going to wait. I'm waiting for my time. I'm waiting for my time, Lord. No, it wasn't that. He wasn't at a, an altar burning incense to God, and all of a sudden God came down and said, now, greater. It, it wasn't, he, he was just going about life in a normal way. He was not expecting. He was not prepared. He was not informed. He was not inspired. He was working. Going about life as normal as life could be, unexpectant. And I think some of the times we think, man, I got to do this and this and this and this, and I got to be that and that and that and that and that and that, and then maybe God would touch my life and make for a way for me to do something greater. What if you just get up and do life, work? Because greater can happen like that. He was unexpected. He didn't read a bunch of self-help books and finally arrived at the place where, okay, now you can be anointed. No. Elijah is the most famous of all prophets, and he sneaks up behind him. 
While he's plowing, he gets dusty and dirty himself, sneaks up behind Elisha, and places his cloak around his shoulder. Now, in this world, they understand what that means. When, one would, when a prophet would place their cloak on you, that literally meant you inherited the mantle of their responsibility. Elisha would have known this. And so when this cloak is put around him, it's this moment of, wow, right? Like he knows what that means even though he's dirty and he's grimy and he's out in the field. But Elisha didn't have a clue up to that moment that this was going to happen. We have no proof in Scripture that anything was expected by him, only expected by God, because God told Elijah beforehand. God knew that greater was in Elisha, and it was just needing to be called out. So three things that we can discover really quick. I want you to jot down that God invites us to. He invites us to a higher calling, number one. Most of us are not in danger of ruining our lives. We face a much greater danger. It's wasting them. We just don't do anything. We play it safe. Elisha wasn't searching for greater when he was invited to this higher calling, when this cloak, this mantle of anointing was put on him, signifying that God had called him. The prophet had heard from God, and he was now called. God's greater calling happens in a moment. But it's your response that makes all the difference to this greater invitation. Requires your willingness to follow a person instead of a plan in this instance, right? It wasn't like Elijah showed up and said, hey, here's the cloak hey, if you would follow these 10 steps, here's the deal. On step eight, you're going to feel great about yourself. And then step nine, life is good. Step 10, you're greater, man. You know, it wasn't that. It wasn't this, this process. It was more like just follow me. And we see that throughout Scripture. Follow me as I follow the Lord, right? And, and, and this, this follow me practice, God gives us a person in Jesus to follow, right? And to try to exemplify and discover and read the text of Scripture that always points to Jesus and figure out how do I become greater through obedience to this mantle of Scripture that we've been presented with, the Bible. God's inviting you to escape the same scenery of defeat and negativity, <laughs> right? If you're not the lead dog, the view is the same. This doesn't always mean doing something different, but perhaps, but perhaps living where you are with a greater passion and purpose. We would call that being on mission, right? Elijah was given a mantle that was his to pass on as well. And he knew that the moment he received it, someday he would have to give that away. Your faith is to pass on versus just putting it on the shelf of accomplishments. Here's, you know, here's the day I was born. Here's the day I was followed Jesus. Here's the day I was baptized. I, it's on the shelf. No, we're supposed to 
have this moment of God's leading us to, to connect the dots and not just be a dot. Right? I remember when I was first coming to church and, and this guy approached me and, and I didn't know what to expect of it. I was just starting a relationship with Jesus. It was a couple months after I'd made finally a decision. I'd been in church maybe eight months. I'd made a decision two months prior to make a decision to follow the Lord. And, uh, and I was like, oh, man. Uh, he approached me right after worship one Sunday, I think, and said, hey, I just really feel like God has something special for your life. And uh, I, I, I'm supposed to somehow be a part of helping you discover that. I was like, hmm, creeper, right? I kind of was thinking that. I was like, he kind of, I was like, he's a little, I don't know about this guy, you know? And, 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 and as we talked a little more, he's like, why don't you come over to my house Saturday morning at 8 o'clock? I'm like, oh, what's going to happen at his house, right? I'm just, I was, honestly, I was having some second thoughts about this whole deal. And uh, so I kind of asked around, like, so who's Jim Hammond? Like, who is this guy? And, uh, and, and to a couple different people that I'd met there, and they're like, oh, he, he's the, he, he volunteers to lead the kids on Sundays. I was like, he's trying to recruit me as like a kid's helper or what's going on, right? I didn't know. And then another couple, and then a bunch of them are like, oh, yeah, we all work for him. I was like, you work for him? Yeah, he directs the Seattle Auto Show. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Oh, felt a little safer about showing up at his house at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, right? But he tells me this. He says, show up and get an NIV study Bible before you show up. So I just blindly do it. Show up that Saturday, 8 o'clock, with an NIV study Bible in a box that I'd never opened. And I unwrap the cellophane. He has me turn to the book of James, I believe it was, and we walked verse by verse and read every cross-reference and every note. And then we went over to Hebrews and we read that. And by the end of those two books, after Saturday, after Saturday, after Saturday, I was called into full-time ministry. It was interesting because he was not paid to do that. He was just a follower of Jesus who decided to take his faith and be greater than he probably even knows to this day. I love telling him every year when I talk about him in a service. And, and, and I'll bring him up every once in a while. like, hey, shared about you today. And I just wanted to let you know I'm, I'm grateful for... Um, You know, passing on what he had just discovered. Somebody got him to buy an NIV study Bible and showed him the faith, and, and he just didn't know it all, at all. He didn't know it. He was just sharing. And, and how many lives has that impacted? And that's what, like, that's greater. Think of how uncomfortable it was for him to walk up to me in church and say, hey, I think God has something greater for you. <laughs> he's like, man, he's going to think I'm a creeper, right? <laughs> yeah, I did, actually. So it's like, you know, that's, we're all called to do that on some realm. It might be a family member or a friend or somebody at church or somebody in a grocery store, but God's going to call us out, and it's ours to follow. He's going to give us a higher calling, someone to invest to, who can invest into someone else. And we'll be all interconnected because we're supposed to be people leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, not just a dot. If you connect the dots, it makes a beautiful mosaic, and that's what the church is supposed to look like. 
a beautiful picture of God to the world around us. I love what Elisha does when this mantle is put on him, kind of like I showed up at 8 o'clock at Jim Hammond's house. Um, Elisha just follows blindly. In fact, passionately, he pursues. He runs. He doesn't just leave the plow and say, time out, dude. Like, what was that? Why did you do that? Why did you put that on? He doesn't know. Elijah must have thrown the thing on him and just kept going because it says Elisha had to run to catch up to him. So he just left the oxen and the plow and ran to catch up to Elijah. His world changed in an instant, unexpected. This is crazy. Which brings us to number two. God invites us to deeper surrender. God invites us to a deeper surrender. When Elisha accepted God's invitation to greater life, he he left nothing for himself because he said to Elijah, let me go back and just say goodbye but I'm yours, whatever you need. And he was like, don't you know what I've done to you? He's like, yeah, what have I done to you? I have just put this mantle on you. Absolutely go back, but know now that you're called, right? And so uh, he does. He goes back, and he leaves himself no temptation to stay back. He takes the oxen and has a party, and he burns up that meal with the livelihood that he had created. That's unbelievable to me. It's like, okay, I'm gonna, if God's called me to do this, I'm leaving that behind and I'm going to pursue this calling. He was not going to allow himself to go back to good enough. It's interesting. God doesn't wait for you to be ready to accept the invitation to deeper surrender. He wants you to burn everything tethering you to the world behind you. And fully trust in Him as you move forward. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Right? We're just saying that. You must make the decision to leave the world behind you, placing that cross in a narrow little point of focus. Okay, I'm going I'm to pursue you, Jesus, because you gave everything for me. And now there's greater there if I follow you. What are the plows God wants you to burn? the dependencies, the ways of thinking? Is it bitterness? Is it resentment? Is it fear? Is it excuses? What do we need to burn? Back in the day, like when I was first in youth ministry, we would have kids burn their CDs. Anybody ever have a CD burning party in the name of Jesus? It was funny. We, I would definitely take a different approach nowadays because uh, burning iPods and, and like iPads would tick people off. But some of them, you know, they just have so many things that they grab to that are putting so many negative voices in their head. And what is it? Like, what's that device? I have had kids. Uh, I've remembered when pornography was their struggle and they just want to leave it behind and they would, they would break their phone and you're like, whoa, that was... Your parents are going to be ticked at the church for a while, I think, you know, because I doubt you bought that. But anyway, uh, they were just so done with what was tethering them. What's tethering you? How can you get rid of it? How can you burn the plows? God wants surrender, but he also wants action. Do you have the surrender to be open to a greater plan? And I think that's our biggest challenge is how open are you? I mean, Abraham, if you read in the Old Testament, Abraham, one word. 
God said go. Didn't give him instructions. Abraham just went with his whole family. They're like, where are we going? I don't know. God said go. I like that's surrender. That's some pretty serious surrender. How about Peter when he was like, if it's you, Jesus, out on the wind and the waves, tell me to come. What does Jesus say? Come. Peter's like, crap, I didn't think he was going to say that, right? I don't know. That had to have been what went through his head for a second. But, you know, so he just, one word obedience, right? One word obedience. That's intense. You can't be in the middle of ordinary and live with one word obedience. But God wants us to. Elisha ran. And there was no words exchanged. There was just a cloak put on his shoulder. That's tough. Final point, God invites us to greater things. God invites us to greater things. Jesus didn't say that we would do greater things than him, but that we would do greater things through him. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he he wants us to do greater things through him because he's going to the Father. So now we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do greater things through what He did on the cross, through His resurrection, through His life. He just wants us to be open so that we can say yes to God and follow Him. Accepting the invitation to greater things starts with a decision to break with everything tying us to good enough. If God takes something from you or removes you from a situation that you thought was good to begin with this greater life. He's inviting you to to enjoy the greater. And, And let me just say this. Why, when we're sharing our story about the time we made a decision to follow Jesus, it was interesting. Last night in the car with my daughter, Jocelyn, she asked me just randomly, Dad, when did you choose to follow Jesus? And I was like, you know, I was 21 years old. She's like, wow, you were old, right? And uh, it was just this interesting conversation. I love to hang out with my kids one-on-one so that those moments and just authentic, genuine thoughts can process. And I was talking about my message today, and so she was just thinking through it and processing it. And I'm just going, isn't it intriguing uh, that sometimes when we share about the decision we made to follow Jesus, what we share is all that we left behind, Oh, let me tell you about the plows. Man, that one plow was made of the best wood. Man, you would never get splinters from that plow. My oxen were amazing. They were just so strong. The fields we plowed were beautiful, and we just had the best farm. Right? That's not the story we know about Elisha. We know everything after his encounter with God, and that's what we're going to look at. When we share our faith with others and we're inviting them to learn about Jesus and it's Christmas time and we're like December 22nd, I got to make sure, got to invite my family, my friends, you know, we're sitting there. We're not inviting them to hear about all we used to love in our life. God gives us a greater life. And if it's not that way, and if we don't share it that way, I think we're sharing the wrong message. God has greater for us, not a lack. God wants our open-ended obedience to follow Him. 
there's a few responses on the back of your connection card today, and we're going to just sing this song again. Christ is enough for me before Bruce closes us today. And I'm going to pray for you. But this is a tangible thing. It's not written on your connection card there that I just want to challenge you to do this week. And I know some of you have probably already done it. When you're putting up a nativity scene, maybe you're going to decorate this week before next Sunday. When you're putting up that nativity scene, realize Jesus came into this world so that you could do even greater Don't let yourself be comfortable with good enough. God, I thank you for what you did in sending your son, Jesus, for us to be able to put our faith on him and experience life like we've just never imagined. You didn't call us to faith in Jesus so that we could leave all that was good. You called us to faith in Jesus so that we would be ready for that instant when you would allow us to see that specific mission you have for our life, that greater that's within us. And Lord, some of us in this room, we need to burn the plows that tie us to good enough and allow ourselves to take risks of obedience and following you. You've put an idea in us and maybe we just haven't pursued it because we're, we're hitched to good enough. Some in this room need to, to start that first step of faith in Jesus to, to be able to, to move towards greater by simply inviting you into their life and saying, I choose to follow Jesus today. This is my day to run after Jesus. Others in this room realize they've been called to do the same as like Jim did in my life. They've known someone they should just open themselves up to and say, hey, love to just grow together, but they did not inconvenience themselves to do it. I just pray, Lord, for courage for us all to be people that would lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Thank you for your word. Whatever application it is for us to do today, open our eyes to it as we worship you again here.